Hey guys, I'm Esther, owner of Sarah Design. And I'm Jen, owner of Hello June Creative. Welcome to Better, the brand designer podcast. We're all about broadcasting conversations that support our design community and covering industry secrets and offering actionable advice. Just remember, the only designer you need to be better than is the one you were yesterday. Hey guys, welcome back to Better the Brand Designer podcast. I am so excited to welcome Bonnie Bakhtiari from B is for Bonnie Design to the pod. Welcome. Thanks so much, Jen. I'm so excited to be here. So excited to get to chat with you today. Yes. I feel like this episode title is going to be like a heavy hitter. I feel like a lot of designers ask us questions related to scaling your workload or scaling your income while not burning out or, you know, working too many hours in the day. I mean, that's something that I'm really passionate about talking about. And I'm just so excited for all of you guys listening to, you know, glean some wisdom from Bonnie in our conversation today. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be able to talk through this as well. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and read your bio really quickly, and then we'll dive into our intro question. Okay. So Bonnie Bakhtiari from B is for Bonnie Design is a brand strategist and designer for creative entrepreneurs, as well as a coach for fellow graphic brand and web designers. She specializes in crafting high converting strategic brands for her custom design clients. And she currently teaches fellow designers how to generate consistent income and connect with their ideal clients on repeat through the Brand Strategy School, her signature program for designers. She's based in beautiful Waco, Texas, with her husband of almost 10 years and their two rambunctious golden retrievers, Boone and Quinn. Welcome. Thanks so much. Okay, so intro question. If your wardrobe could only be one color, what would it be? I love this question and not to like sound too on brand, but I'm a big fan of pinks. I think that pink is like such an underrated color in the sense of it can actually be so incredibly versatile. Like if we look at, you know, those like barely their blushes, they can almost like read as neutrals. But if you go to the opposite end of the spectrum and you have those really saturated, those kind of deep, like jammy, almost like berry pinks, they can feel so moody and romantic. And there's just a lot of variety. So that is a family that just like absolutely speaks to my heart. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, when you think about colors that have a lot of, like just a lot of colors within them, like a lot of variations, I feel like pink is a really, really good one because it can read on the red side. You can go really, really cool towards lavender. You can go really saturated or really not saturated. So I feel like your wardrobe would have a lot of variability if it could only be pink. I love that. I know. I totally agree. That's why I was like, I feel like this is, this is like a color that has so much potential and I'm all about that. Yeah. Yes. I feel like my answer to this question is like going to be kind of surprising to you guys because you guys know that I love color and I use color in all my projects and I love wearing colorful clothes. But I feel like I would choose like a neutral cream for my wardrobe if I could only pick one thing. I've recently been kind of moving more towards like really high quality basics that I feel like can last a long time that I can accessorize with like really, really bright pops of color, like jewelry or like a cool hat or like something like my belt bag. I I would have a belt bag collection if I could only have cream outfits. But I feel like, you know... 
the cream matching set trend, I never grew out of that. Like, I feel like that is kind of my vibe right now, especially with, you know, working from home and not really leaving my house as often. So yeah, I like, I don't want to be saying this, but I feel like it would be cream, like cream, creamy yellows, dark cream, deep tan, like the range. Yeah, no, there's like so much range there. I feel like there's a ton of versatility. And especially if you're thinking about like bringing in color through accessories, cream is actually a really fantastic way to go. Yeah, like I think about my website, right? Like I love color, but my website and my brand is a collection of like four different shades of like creamy yellow with like a pop of like peachy pink. And I use that pop like everywhere, but the majority of my website has like black text and like a creamy tan background. And I know the like black and tan trend is like really big for people right now, which I have the utmost respect for. I think, you know, brands that are on the neutral side just look so luxe and so elevated, but my clients do get a sense of my my affinity for color from my work and the photography and the mock-ups that I put on my website. Um, And so I've never really felt held back by the fact that I have more of like a tan site. So I feel like I would, I would enjoy having a cream, a cream wardrobe, but I would go insane with the accessories if I did. (laughs) I love that. When I started my design business, I felt really alone. It felt really freeing to be a solo designer, but at the same time, I had no idea if I was undercharging, if I was even asking for the right amount, if I was giving the right deliverables. Everything felt super foggy. Marissa and Kinsey from The Brief Collective felt the exact same way, and they started something for people like us. The Brief Collective is an educational brand for designers, and their signature offer is the Design Biz Academy which is really cool. It has courses for all levels and all budgets. So if you're newer and you're not looking to make that big of an investment, but you still need some support, they have something for everyone. They also have courses that are not just focused on the business side of education, but they also have a course on Illustrator. They have a graphic design course so that you can brush up on your skills or acquire new ones. One Brief Collective member, Kaylee, went from charging $90 to charging thousands for her branding package. And another went from $30 to having a $3,500 minimum for branding, which is amazing. Brief Collective students, they come out with the confidence to make these financial strides. But at the same time, which I think is even more important and more valuable, they feel really supported and make genuine lifelong connections in a really safe and inclusive design space. In the Design Biz Academy university level, there are assignments that you can work on alongside other designers, exclusive job opportunities through their community, and they have a really cool interactive workshops where you can practice things like sales calls with your fellow students. Make your investment back in one client project after graduating from the Design Biz Academy. They're giving you guys an exclusive 10% off discount to the Design Biz Academy university level with the code BETTERDESIGNER. That can be used during their enrollment period of January 22nd through 27th, 2023. That's 10% off Design Biz Academy University with the code BETTERDESIGNER. Check it out. Okay, so before we dive into our conversation, we have a couple of announcements. Our Patreon-only live Q&A call is happening on December 6th at 9 a.m., 10 a.m. Central. This is for our design directors who are our $10 patrons. This is an exclusive call with me and Esther. It's a really small group right now, which is awesome, where you guys get to 
really just bring any and all questions you want. Think of it like a little mini coaching call where you kind of get to pick our brains about our studios or problems you're currently experiencing or our best advice for growing your studio, et cetera. It's just a really nice way to kind of engage with us outside of the podcast. And I know a lot of you guys, um, the feedback that we've gotten has been like, we feel like your design besties, like it's right back at you. We feel like we're your design besties and we love hearing from you guys. So this is equally as fun for us. Um, You can sign up to be a design director on our Patreon at patreon.com slash better podcast. There's also some super cute merch that you get as a design director um, that you actually can't get anywhere else right now. Our website is in the works. We're looking at some other fun merch options. I did get some feedback from a previous episode. Um, Bonnie, we're thinking about doing hats that say that's out of scope. And I was like, I don't know if people will get that. Like, I feel like that's too niche, but like a couple of you guys are like, you need to make these hats. So um, maybe that's something that we'll look into, but yeah, patreon.com slash better podcast. I also wanted to let you guys know that for better podcast listeners, the doors to my design mini mind program are actually still open. As we're recording this, they're open right now. Doors officially closed on November 17th. But if there are still a couple spots here and there, and if you guys are interested in what working with me in a really small group and one-to-one capacity would look like, the Design Mini Mind might be a good fit for you guys. So there's eight spots. There's a curriculum in Teachable. We have a community in Circle. Um, There's an optional two-day in-person meetup that would be happening sometime in March of next year. Um, I'm just so excited about this program. It's been in the works for a while. I've been coaching other designers one-to-one for over a year now. And so it's kind of the conglomeration of like all of the conversations that we've been having and me noticing what the pain points are for a lot of you guys who are kind of in that like past survival mode, but not yet in thrival mode um, space in your businesses. So if you're curious, you can go to hellojunecreative.co slash minimind and you can read all about it there. You can apply there and let me know in your application that you're a podcast listener. So if you guys have any questions at all, you can DM me at Hello June Creative on Instagram. I would love to chat about whether or not you feel like the program is a good fit for you and help answer any questions that you have. All right. So let's dive into our conversation, Bonnie. I know that was kind of a lot to like get through in the beginning, but like I am so passionate and excited about making more and working less. I feel like it's everyone's goal. So tell us about your personal design journey, where you started, where you are today, and why this topic is so close to your heart. For sure. So when I kind of like started at the beginning of how I really created Bias for Bonnie Design, it was almost by accident. Like I absolutely identify with saying that I'm an accidental entrepreneur. I really never like set out to 
run my own business. It was something that um, I kind of just stumbled into. And so really what happened is I was a senior in college, getting ready to graduate. I was also engaged at the time to my now husband, and we were getting ready to you know, enter into all this change. And it was really exciting, but also there was a lot of uncertainty with that. And I knew that in order to really make this move, I was about to move from Texas to California. So like big geographical like relocation happening in order to kind of like step into this new season of, you know, being newlyweds and living together. I wanted to be able to generate revenue that was contributing to this life that we were building together. And so like so many people at different points in life, I like needed to make money and I needed to figure out how to do it pretty quickly. And so this is something that rather than going kind of the traditional nine to five or more corporate route, not that there's anything wrong with that, but just knowing a lot of the uncertainty that I was experiencing with like getting ready to move and not quite sure how I was going to find an employer that would be cool with that. I, and to, to be clear, this was back in 2012. So remote work was not quite what it is right. today. I remember um, I actually graduated call, I graduated high school in 2012. And when I was in college, you know, yeah. it was weird for me to be thinking about freelancing. Everyone went and oh, yeah. did consulting and they worked for an employer with benefits and all of that. It was, I did a lot of explaining in the early days. So I relate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's wild to like put yourself out there and to like launch a website and just start, you know, kind of like getting your name out there. And basically for me, it was a matter of telling all my friends, telling family members, like I had no shame. I was literally like, if you will listen to me, I will tell you about the design work that I can do for you. And that's really... I attribute that to how I got my start. It, it was, you know, it was referrals, it was word of mouth, it was friends that I went to high school with who were starting photography businesses or who wanted to try their hand at wedding planning. And they were like, hey, I need help creating a logo. And at that time, I was like, oh my gosh, absolutely. Like, if you are willing to pay me money to design, I will absolutely take on this project no matter what we're actually doing. Um, and it was if something they have that a like, pulse and they need design work and they can mm-hmm. pay you, you know, that was how yeah. I got started too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if you have the money and the interest to hire me and to take a chance on me, I will like 100% figure out a way to bring your vision yes. to life. Even if it takes like 20 revisions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which like, you know, I, I like look back and those early days were so filled with just this scrappiness and this like this tenacity and just like going after it. And it was so much trial and error. And with those early days of just taking on any and all projects that came my way, there was also this huge amount of work and this huge amount of exhaustion, really. Like I, I think that we can in the online business space, we can glamorize starting your own business. And, you know, we talk about like the freedom and like that work from anywhere kind of lifestyle. And it's easy to focus on the benefits and the incredible freedom that running your own business does offer. But it's also important to remember that starting anything, building it from scratch does take heart and time and energy. And for most of us, it's not an overnight success. And for me, it certainly wasn't. So I've been doing this for 10 years now. And with that, I have, I've gone through seasons of burnout. I've gone through in those early days 
taking on any and, you know, any and every project that came my way. Um, you know, taking on a la carte projects, working at hourly rates, doing all, what a lot of freelance designers do. And it did serve me well. It, it gave me so much experience and it did what was most important for me at that time. It helped me generate income so that I could, you know, be paying my bills. But the more that I got into it as, you know, quickly as time went by, I realized like this is not a sustainable way for me to live. And if I am going to treat this like a business, I need to have more structure and I need to have more like spaciousness in the sense of I can't keep trading my time for dollars and I can't keep trading my energy, which is this like finite resource for money. Like I need for something to change. And so for me, I started looking at with my design clients. And at that point, I was I was really exclusively working on brand identity design. I was looking at those projects and I was like, what is, what's like the secret sauce here? Like what's like the common denominator here that is helping me deliver results for my clients and it's making them happy and that's, you know, like just absolutely achieving that goal. And for me, it was my brand strategy process. It was that I didn't just want to focus on the design on a surface level. I didn't want to just take someone's Pinterest board and like regurgitate that into, you know, the design that we were creating. I wanted to take the time to understand who my client was and what they valued and really the why behind their work. And I wanted to understand who they wanted to serve through the work they were doing. And I wanted for the design to reflect all of that strategy. And so for me, I noticed like my clients who I work with, once we go through that strategy process, we are creating these brands that are so incredibly profitable for them or that feel expansive, that feel life-giving, that feel like they're proud to put their name on it and they're proud to you know get it out into the world. And so years ago I was like this, I think this is the key for me because if I can focus in on this process that's offering such a high value experience to my clients, I can actually charge more because I'm delivering a specific transformation for the work that I do. So I can focus on taking on fewer clients. Like I don't need to book 10 projects a month. I could, you know, I could book four, I could book two. If I'm raising my prices to reflect the value that goes into this work that I'm doing, people will be willing to pay for that. And that's really where kind of that traction started to build in my business. And now I'm at this point, like I said, 10 years in where I absolutely love what I do. I'm honored to still get to work with design clients on that one-on-one level, it's certainly at a much higher price point and at a higher level because of all the expertise and experience that I've gleaned. And then to be able to share what I've learned with fellow designers through my program or through coaching, it's such a fulfilling, it's such a fulfilling process. And so it's, it's one that I'm just grateful to be able to share a little bit about what I've learned about that kind of dilemma of earning more while working less today. Wow. You're so eloquent. First of all, I love your story <laughs> so much. And I feel like one of the things you said earlier on, you were saying that you were tired of trading your energy, which is a finite resource for money. And I feel like, you know, we, we think about trading time for money. We think about, oh, I need to shift away from charging hourly. You know, like I need to start doing package prices or look into value-based pricing. But like, I feel like a lot of designers overlook the fact that their creative energy 
can be depleted. And we actually have a whole episode about that. It's called Burnout Baby Burnout. It's one of my personal favorite episodes, but I just wanted to point that out because like that was kind of like a little light bulb for me. I was like, yes, like however much of my energy that I give myself away, like I can't then just replicate that for another five or 10 clients. I've been there, you know, we both have been there. Like you're not going to be able to serve your clients at that highest level and charge those rates, you know, to be able to provide them that value if your energy is split and depleted because I don't know if you guys have ever tried to design something on like really low creative energy or burnout, but it doesn't work out for me. Everything I make looks bad. (laughs) So (laughs) I can totally relate to that. And I think that, you know, when we are putting this demand on our creativity to generate revenue for us. Like basically as designers, we're taking our art, we're taking the vision that we have, we're taking the unique way that we see the world and we're asking people to to pay us money for it. And it's such a beautiful thing that we do. But because what we do is inherently creative, it is inherently vulnerable and it's personal. Like we're we're building, even if you feel like, you know, you're you've, you know, kind of created your process to the point where you've got a really good rhythm going and, you know, building brands is easy for you. Like, you know, exactly what to look for. It's still, you know, this kind of vision that's coming from within you. You're taking the, you know, the brief from your client, but you're the one who's actually creating what those assets are going to look like and what that design is going to look like. And so knowing that, you know, there's kind of this, I don't want to say balance because balance kind of brings up a lot of imagery of equality on either side. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. And so, you know, balance isn't quite the right word, but actually, you know, this, this rhythm, I guess there's this rhythm of the exchange that's happening with every project we take on. There's this exchange of money. Yes. But also I like to think of it, there's an exchange of energy. There's an exchange of creativity. And that's another reason why it's so important to make sure that we're partnering with clients who we can in, in a sense, we can feel safe with. We can feel safe with sharing our creativity. We can feel like our energy is respected. And, you know, ideally in return, they're showing up and they're investing their time, their energy, um, and their money into that project. So just kind of giving yourself the permission to think about it and look at it. It's not just, you know, about trading time for money. It's also acknowledging that your energy and creativity are definitely a part of that equation. Yeah. And I feel like that's part of the value that we provide as individual like boutique brand designers that you can't get from a pre-made logo on Etsy. Not to say that those are not viable options for businesses who are just starting out, but I mean, that's one of the things I was just on a couple of discovery calls this morning and I was, you know, talking about like, it's just me. Like I don't have any other employees. Even if you do like working with a human being allows, you know, me to be able to like gently push back or guide the client or like notice when, Hey, like, are you just really not into this font because of some sort of like fearful experience that you've had or something? Like, I think this is going to be a great fit for you. I want this to have longevity. Like think about that versus a client who doesn't really know much about design trying to go and DIY their brand or use a pre-made brand that might not fit their brand strategically. I feel like there's just so much value in providing 
that energetic exchange with our clients. And sometimes it's hard to articulate in the sales process too. So that's why I love this, this conversation about it. So we receive lots of inbox questions from our listeners about kind of what you ended your previous story with about how to scale and grow in terms of revenue without overbooking, burning out, you know, really running yourself into the ground. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about leaning away from selling deliverables and leaning more into undercovering and understanding the value to your clients. I know one of our listeners, Anna Kate Auten and Sydney Walden also asked questions about how to start charging more for services without working more. So I wanted to hear from you, like, why is it important for you personally to be able to increase your revenue while working fewer hours? Mm, I love this question. Um, And Honestly, I have a lot of thoughts, a lot of opinions about this. And it's something that I'm so passionate about because I have gone through multiple seasons of burnout at different points in my career. And it's never fun. It's not a life-giving space to be in. It's, it's, you know, just like the definition of struggle, I think. And it is absolutely something that I want for every designer to be able to avoid. And actually, when I look at the way that we can increase the the amount of revenue that we're generating while protecting our time and energy, for me, that's everything. Because personally, I live with a chronic illness. I also... So my energy, literally, my energy is this incredibly finite resource. I also... Um, personally, just when I look at my ideal schedule, when I look at the quality of life that I want to experience and the lifestyle that I want to build, it is not one where I am like glued to my computer 40 hours a week. Like it is, that's just not it for me. And so for years now, I've been practicing this approach to, you know, work with fewer clients, but at higher price points and to be able to do that so that I'm able to generate the revenue that I want or that I need whenever I want to and whenever I need to, but it doesn't require that I log more hours at my desk. It doesn't require that I hire this like massive team of people to be like, you know, working behind the scenes for me. It's something that I can manage myself and with the help of an assistant, it's something that I can manage as I have the energy to do it. And so for me, thinking about longevity, you know, finding a way that works for you. And this is something that, you know, I absolutely love to teach inside my program for designers because it's so important to find a a rhythm that works for you and a process that works for you and honors the life you want to live, the amount of hours that you want to be working, generates the revenue that you want to be generating and feels good because if we look at this being something that you're doing for the long haul, like we want to be here for, you know, a long time and a good time, not just like, you know, a good time, but not a long yeah, time. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, yeah. And so it's like, it's thinking about how you can identify those kind of like pillars of success for yourself and then taking action to really bring that to life. Yeah. I feel like a lot of designers like us, started their businesses so their lifestyles could look different from that traditional nine to five that we were talking about earlier. I've been doing a little bit of market research on Instagram and close friends and just kind of 
asking people why they started their businesses. And overwhelmingly, the majority of people are saying freedom and flexibility. And that really can only be achieved through making the money you want while not, like like you said, logging more hours at your desk. Like I don't know of a single person whose idea of like a really healthy, like holistic, maybe not balanced, but like harmonious lifestyle. I don't know anyone where that stuff would come from spending more time alone at their desk. And, you know, if that's you, like you go girl, like I love, we love it. We love to see it. Like I support like the grinds, like, you know, there's a lot of like feelings out there around like quote unquote hustle culture. I feel like if it's working for you and you're happy and fulfilled, like go for it. But I'm curious about your advice for designers who are wanting to get more quote unquote consistent income. I know the consistent the word consistent is kind of a fallacy in what we do because there's no one month that's going to be the exact dollar amount like back to back to back. Like some seasons are going to be busy, some will be slow, but over time, designers who are looking for more of that consistency without overbooking themselves. What do you say to someone who comes to you like one of your students who's like I'm knee deep in burnout and I'm not making enough? Like how do I climb out of this hole? Well, first of all, the advice that I share in that situation is I know that it feels like the exact opposite of what you need to do. But like, if you're coming to me and you're burnt out, you're overworked and you're overwhelmed, I know that it feels counterintuitive to rest, but I actually need for you to rest. I need for you to pull away from what's causing you stress. I need for you to give yourself, maybe it's like, it's a half day. Maybe it's, you know, it's a long weekend. Maybe it's, you know, whatever your life can sustain in terms of you stepping away from the cause of your burnout, that's actually going to serve you really well because studies actually show us that our brains, when we are experiencing high amounts of stress, our brains are actually operating at a cognitive disadvantage. So our IQ actually temporarily drops several points. That's great. It is the most wild thing. Yes. So when we're stressed, we are literally operating without our full brain power. And so we're burnt out. We're like feeling the panic because you know there's like not enough money in the bank account to pay the bills or to do things that we need to do. And that's like, that's a real problem. That's real. But how can we create the solution that's going to serve you best if you are not operating at your highest level with your highest cognitive function? So this is why I say, for however long you can, even if it's just like, you know, a couple of hours or, you know, days or whatever that looks like for you. I'm not saying you need to step away until like your burnout is like a thing of the past and you're feeling yeah, like go to a spa retreat better. for six weeks. Like <laughs> that would be awesome though. <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, like, yes, I wish, I like wish that that's something we all could experience, <laughs> but like, I'm not saying like, you know, like rack up a bunch of credit card debt, like, you know, going to, going to the spa or something like that. But I am saying like, you know, step away from your computer, like put up an out of office responder for, you know, however long you can really manage, you know, like go spend time with your kids, go spend time with your partner, go hang out by yourself, like go where you're able to pour back into yourself and be surrounded by the people or the experiences that really, really love you and really support you and can help you feel protected. And so, you know, like when you're starting to feel a little better, then we we look at the problem and we say, okay, so the issue here is that you are not making enough revenue. 
but you're super maxed out on your time. Like we literally cannot take on more, more clients because the time just isn't there. Okay. So let's look at the way that you're actually working. Let's look at how your, your packages or your services are actually structured. And let's look at what that pricing looks like and let's see where there's some possibility. Like what can we play with? And with my students, normally what we find is that they've told themselves a story that they have maxed out on how high their prices can be when in reality, their prices could be much, much, much higher. What I see is that in the design industry, we are chronically, most of us are chronically undercharging for the work that we do. But because we see everyone else around us doing it, we think that it's normal. And so then we feel uncomfortable. We feel like the odd person out if we dare to increase our prices past what we see others charging. But it's important to remember that when you're looking at what other people are charging... You don't know what their overhead looks like. You don't know if maybe they have a team of people behind the scenes. Maybe they have like a, you know, some white label designers, or maybe they have an agency model and they're able to take on more clients at maybe a slightly lower price point, which you, if you're a solopreneur, you're not going to be able to generate the amount of, of revenue because you simply don't have the capacity to take on the same number of clients that they might. And so when we look at pricing, it's important for us to think that it's not about packing in more stuff. It's not about packing on more hours. Jen, it's actually something that I think you mentioned earlier. It's about... Um, identifying the problem that our services solve. And when we can communicate what problem our services solve, we're actually communicating a transformation. So the work that you do as a designer, when you're creating a brand identity, you're not just designing, you know, beautiful logos and, you know, putting together like, you know, color palettes and type pairings. You're actually creating this very sophisticated solution that is enabling your client to consistently connect with their ideal clients. So they can consistently sell their services or sell their products and do what they enjoy doing and make good money doing it. And so when we we switch our mentality from looking at just what you offer to actually the transformation of what you're offering, that's when we can really start to have fun with, with saying, okay, if I, if it's not just about the deliverables and the number of hours included in my package, but it's actually about how my work changes my client's business or changes their life. That's when you can start to like double, triple, quadruple prices like easily. And then we can also start to get a little bit more into like value-based pricing because when we're talking to people from that place of communicating the problem you solve and the transformation that you're delivering then we can start attracting people who want that kind of transformation and are willing to invest accordingly. So that's kind of where we get to break up with that like more clients equals more money kind of dilemma. And instead we get to focus on fewer clients at a higher price point in a way that feels more expansive in a way that feels like a better um, way to honor your time and your energy. Wow. I feel like you just dropped so much amazing knowledge on us. And I absolutely love the way that you phrased everything. I feel like sometimes designers, like you said, they like, I mean, I remember this from the very beginning of when I started of like, Oh, I saw a designer charge $2,500 for her branding package, let's say. 
And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, that's so much. I could never charge that much. Like I'm going to charge a little less because I feel like I have less experience. I feel like designers, like you said, they price based off of this like kind of peeking around the corner and seeing like what other designers are doing and then comparing themselves and their experience or years in business or they went to school and I didn't or they took that course and I didn't. And then they think like, well, I'm not worthy to charge what they're charging. And so then they they, they price based off of a quote unquote market that's actually a fallacy rather than listening to the painful problems that their clients are bringing them on sales calls or even asking about those problems. I never asked clients about their problems in the very beginning. And as soon as I shifted away from trying to look around me at what other designers were doing and really just focus on asking those key questions in sales calls of, you know, what is the value you hope to get from a project with me? I literally just asked that question. I mean, like, you know, sometimes we don't talk specifically about value-based pricing, obviously in sales calls, but like, I, you know, I just had, like I said, I just had a sales call before this and I was asking like, what is the main problem that made you reach out to me? Is it you want to raise your pricing? Is it because you're not getting aligned inquiries? Is it because you feel uncomfortable with the way that your brand and website are representing your company? Like, and is it more of an internal thing? She's like, oh yeah, like pricing isn't an issue for me right now. Like attracting clients isn't the problem for me right now. What feels so uncomfortable is when I look at my website, I don't want to market, (laughs) you know, like I don't want to show up. Like I feel this mismatch between the level of value I'm providing my own clients and what my branding says about that. And I feel like it's more internal. She had a 10K budget. She was willing to spend those higher ticket prices to solve a really uncomfortable internal problem for herself. And so I feel like, you know, even going deeper into value based pricing, thinking like, okay, like, how am I going to make my clients more money? How am I going to help them attract more clients? How am I going to get more inquiries through the door? Sometimes, and you don't know unless you ask, like, the problem can look different for them. And if you go down that road and you follow that and you say, okay, tell me more about what feels uncomfortable. How do you feel when you look at your website? What don't you want to do when you're marketing because you don't want to send people to your website? Like that just opens up the floodgates of these, you know, really uncomfortable problems. She's like, I really want to get started as soon as possible. Like as soon as I had this conversation with you, like, I don't even want to like, have this website anymore. Like I need to have that shift happen. And, you know, of course that shift does result in higher pricing, more inquiries, clients who are more aligned to their brand. But I just thought that was an interesting little tidbit that I wanted to share just from like a a sales call that I had today that, you know, like who knows if she'll book, hopefully she does. I thought it was a great call, but I was surprised that it wasn't really, I need to make more money. It was this feels so uncomfortable that I am willing to spend what it takes to work with someone who's going to get me out of this problem. Absolutely. And I think that in my own experience and like even when I, you know, have conversations with my students inside the brand strategy school, something that keeps coming up is like the way that our clients, like the people that we serve through our design work, the way that they are defining success in the context of our project is so unique. Like for some people, right? It's going to be, 
you know, I want to make more money. I want to generate more sales. I need to consistently attract new leads. For some people, it's going to be like that lead that you were just having a call with earlier today. And it's going to be like, I want to feel proud to send people to my website. I want to feel good about the the message that my brand is, is sharing with others. And yeah, I think that like that can be something that is just really, really like important for us to remember because it's not this like one size fits all kind of solution. I think that there can be so much fun actually as a designer. Like you can have more fun when you open yourself up to meet your potential clients right where they are and learn about the problems that they want to solve. And that can give you like exactly the information that you're looking for to, to say, yes, I, I'm the designer for you. I can create a brand that feels aligned and reflects who you are on the inside versus the persona that is reflected on the outside. Or yes, I can create this brand for you that is high converting and that, you know, is like going to absolutely generate more revenue for you. But it's, we have to have those conversations in the first place. Yeah. Like you said. Exactly. And I feel like, I don't know about you. I'm sure you've gotten amazing content ideas from even sales calls that didn't end up in a conversion. Like, Asking about those problems and talking about solutions to those problems, that's my marketing strategy. That's what I'm talking about on Instagram. You know, that's what I'm sharing with my one-to-one students. And the next, you know, I I sense patterns. I mean, you'll sense patterns over time if you're brand new. Like just keep having sales calls, even if they don't end up working out, because you will sense patterns and you'll be able to start articulating your clients' problems back to them in ways that feel like they're understood off the bat. Like for example, I work with a lot of interior designers. When they hit that one to two year mark, their DIY brand or their template starts to become not an accurate representation of the services that they provide. And so I'm aware of that time frame in an interior designer's business. I'm aware of the problems that they have, like getting inquiries for room refreshes or, you know, bringing an interior designer into the process too late after they've already worked with an architect and a builder. And I'm able to have those conversations with my leads about, hey, like, some of my other, you know, leads or design clients, they've experienced this problem of people not expecting your minimums to be at a certain level. Like, do you have that problem? And like, they're like, oh my gosh, yes. Like, and then they go into, you know, more information about that particular problem. And so I don't know, I just, I am such a proponent of having the sales call, saying the price point, getting rejected if need be because you said the price that's a little too high. Maybe we can talk about that in a second. But I've just gotten so much just amazing content directly from the mouths of the people who are inquiring with me, which is, you know, just the most relatable and like organic content, I feel like. Do you feel like that as well? Oh, I totally agree. And I think that in my own experience, it is like it's not only this process of sharpening my own skills as a communicator, and it's not only this process of me continuing to um, to focus on how I can accurately convey the value behind the work that I do, and how I can like you know put my pricing out there and like honestly say it with my whole chest, and you know like not hem and haw about it, not feel embarrassed about it, like put it out there because we are serious business owners discussing the way that we can do business together. And that's a part of doing business is that exchange of that exchange of money. But also 
communicating and connecting with potential clients is so incredibly like just, wow, honestly, the way they were able to, like you were saying, like talk about where they are, talk about what's not serving them well or what's holding them back. Like that is the absolute gold standard for me personally when it comes to market research. Like I don't need to go out and pull a bunch of people on my Instagram account. It's instead, it's me sitting on a call with a potential client and chatting with them directly and taking notes and actually like actively listening to what they're saying. And then that informs my marketing, that informs the messaging, the language that I use, because ideally you want to communicate back to your um, your ideal client the exact pain points and the exact struggles that they're experiencing so that when they come across your content, wherever that content is, they're like, whoa, this designer gets me. Like They absolutely get where I am, where I want to go, what's holding me back. And it just like right off the bat creates this foundation for this level of trust and this kind of like quality of validation that as humans is so, so like powerful for us. Yeah. Like when posts go viral or something like that, it's usually because you see something you're like, wow, I have never articulated that, but that is exactly me. Like, you know, I'm sure you've seen like Instagram posts have gone viral and stuff like that. Like we want our clients to have that feeling when they come across our content, just like you said, like, wow, this is me. Like she knows me, like she gets me. Um, because that's just another way that you can position yourself as unique against other designers who might be giving the same services to other people. Okay. So I know that raising your pricing is something that kind of strikes fear in the heart of designers everywhere because getting rejected is never fun. Having a client be shocked at your pricing is never fun. And it also, you know, especially for younger designers, I'm speaking from a place of experience here, can make you feel intense imposter syndrome and make you feel like, who am I to charge that number? Like this other designer doesn't even charge that. Like, what am I doing wrong? I'm getting rejected more often. What was your pricing journey? Like, what did that look like? And how did your clients react? And kind of how did you push a, push away the, you know, the negative parts of that and really persevere to continue, you know, the prices kind of increasing over time? Yeah. So when I was a newer designer, I was absolutely undercharging. Like I honestly, like probably don't, I definitely don't remember like what the exact prices were. Cause I think like part of my brain has like blocked that out to try to like protect me. Um, yeah, I know yeah. it was like, yeah, in the below a hundred dollars. I think I did my first yeah. logo for, you know, which, you know, we, we support that for the first time, but you know, definitely undercharging for sure. Yeah, like we all got to start somewhere, but also yeah. like it's not sustainable because you know, like if you're charging like a hundred dollars for logo design, how many logo projects do you have to take on in order to like buy your groceries for the week? You know, yeah. like it's just it's oh, it's just math. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when I look back and, um, you know, really examine where I was when I was undercharging, when I was a newer designer, when I started to make that transition to practicing value-based pricing and 
really practicing charging for my services based on the transformation that my work provides, I really couldn't afford, like I literally could not afford to keep hemming and hawing about my pricing during conversations with people. Like I needed to be completely upfront, but what I started doing and what was really helpful for me, because honestly, um, I'm an introvert. I like absolutely hate that thought of having a conversation with someone and it getting really awkward about us, you know, me like stating my price and then being like, Whoa, that's like way more expensive than I thought it was going to be. And then me being like, well, that's the price, you know, and it's yeah. like awkward. <laughs> I know. Like, what do you say to that? You know, like I, I am definitely the the type of person that will just continue to talk. Yeah. I'll say the number and then I'll keep talking <laughs> to like fill the awkward silence. You know, I definitely did that a lot when I started practicing value-based pricing and raising my prices a couple of years ago. Now it is still not the most comfortable thing, but I say the number and then I just shut up and I let the client like have their reaction, whatever that is. And that's, still scary sometimes. Yeah. I'm the same way though. Like I I put it out there and then I just stop talking and like, gosh, it is amazing what, when you create the space for silence, it is amazing what information will come out. Like in that, in that like pause on the call when you're like, this is my price point. And then you just like leave it open. Wow. You will get people telling you, you know, like, how you'll get people who say like, great, when can we start? You'll get people who are like telling you their whole life story about, you know, like what's doable and what's not doable for them. You'll get actually some really thoughtful questions. Like there's, there's a lot of like powerful stuff that can happen in the pause after you introduce your pricing. But, um, to kind of like get back to the actual question, (laughs) I, um, when I started practicing value-based pricing and when I started communicating from this place of this is the transformation I'm offering, that's literally the language that I started using. I stopped being like, if you hire me, I will design, you know, like this was before I started doing like a one logo concept. Um, and, and this was like, you know, years ago. Back when I was when I was newer, I would do three different logo concepts. You know, so instead of like on the call being like, you know, if we work together, I will do three logo concepts for you. And that includes three rounds of revision. You know, instead of like talking about all the deliverables, I started talking about, because up until that point in the conversation, I'd taken the time to learn about them and their business. Um, I taken the time to understand what was holding them back. And I also took the time to understand where they wanted to go. And so then I started framing my work as, you know, based on what you shared with me, I'm hearing that these are the goals that you're wanting to experience. And I believe that if we work together at this level, this package that I have or this service that I have um, could really help us not only achieve those goals, but also, you know, make you feel a deeper sense of confidence in the brand that we're building or um, create a brand that gets you excited to talk about the work that you do and to drive traffic to your website. And, you know, I talk about it kind of using that language and framing it about how my work, how my service would be of value to that potential client. And so then when I introduce the pricing, I say, you know, I've kind of like painted this beautiful picture up until that point of like how life and business will change if we choose to work together and how I can essentially be this guide that takes you on that journey. And then I introduced... Story brand. (laughs) Yeah. That's like... That's then when we started introducing the price. And if it's a good fit, 
if that person has followed you along in, in what you're sharing and they're, they're actually feeling like validated of like, yeah, like what Bonnie is offering me is exactly what I want to experience. And I do trust that she's the designer who, who can make this happen for me. When I talk about pricing, there's usually this like willingness to figure out a way to make it happen, you know, and there's not so much pushback. Now I will say that the way that I talk about this now (laughs) with like 10 years of experience versus the way I was talking about this, like in year three or year four of my business, very different. So don't expect yourself to be like this incredibly like eloquent, confident, like super polished, you know, like boss when you're having these conversations, like it's going to take some time. And I was so awkward when I first was getting started because it was new. I was literally training myself to talk about my work in this way. And so I needed to learn just like, you know, this person that I was chatting with, this potential client needed to learn about my services. And so in those early days, it it was that switch from talking about deliverables to talking about transformation and framing the investment through that lens of this is the transformation I'm creating for you, not this is how much stuff I'm designing for you. And now, you know, continuing in that, you know, like process. Now I'm at this point where people, I very rarely experience pushback with my prices because I'm qualifying the leads that I'm receiving. So we're setting expectations going into that sales call about what my starting price looks like. I'm asking questions before we even get on the call about what their budget looks like. And that is meant to protect everyone's time. Like I value my time and I value their time. And so if my starting price point is $10,000 and their budget is $2,000, it is I am not serving that person well if I get them on the phone with me or on Zoom with me and have a call with them that is, you know, painting a picture for them that is wildly outside of their budget. But it's also worth noting that like we can, as, as designers, when we're having these conversations with potential clients, we can unintentionally start telling ourselves stories about what someone can afford and what they can't afford, but we don't actually have access to that information. So this is something that I, I'm speaking from personal experience. There've definitely been times where I've caught myself, you know, um, having conversations with someone and on a sales call and telling myself, oh, you know, because they didn't check you know, that like $10,000 was their budget. If I pitch them a service that's $10,000, they won't be able to afford it. You know, like I tell myself this story. So then I don't bring up the service that's at $10,000. I bring up, you know, a lower, a lower price service. But what we actually might not know is that that potential client you're chatting with has savings set aside that they're actually willing to dip into for the right designer, for the right project. Or if you're working with a business, not a solopreneur, they might have additional funding that they have access to, or they might be able to go out and actually raise more capital. More capital. So it's important for us to kind of like trust our gut here, but also, so you know, if you like are are pitching a ten thousand dollar project to someone who literally has a hundred dollars in the bank that's going to be tough. Like That's going to be a real hard sell because it's literally just not accessible. But we don't want to start getting all up in our heads about telling ourselves, oh, this is what someone can afford versus what they can't afford because we don't have access to their financials. We don't know what their bank accounts look like. We don't know what kind of capital or credit 
or external funding they might have access to. And we can actually block ourselves unintentionally from serving that person through our services if we tell ourselves, hey, you know, oh, they can't, they can't afford me. Like share the information, be upfront, be honest, and listen to people and believe people when they tell you what they can afford and what they can't afford. Yes. Oh my goodness. I love that. I feel like I mean, speaking from personal experience, I do this all the time where I subconsciously put a client into a price bracket or I, you know, I diagnose them with a service of mine that I think they're going to, you know, convert at or whatever. Cause I'm like, I don't want to lose this. You get a new inquiry. You're so excited. It's a cool project. You like the person. And then you're like, don't lose the project. Don't say a rate that is going to scare them away. But I think you said earlier in our recording, like, say it with your full chest, you know, like, I think that's one of the things I've never heard that before. I love that so much. And I feel like the way that we bring up those numbers too, like, is so impactful for our clients to hear. There's a really big difference between like, well, you know, like, you know, sometimes my packages are like 10K and my brand identity and strategy package does start at 10K. But we also have other intensive offers that might be more budget friendly for you. You know, like there are, there's a complete difference in the way that you kind of bring that stuff up as a whole other, a whole other ball game. But, um, I just, I love everything that you said and it's the clients that I never expected to have those like 12, 15, 18, 20 K budgets that are not shocked at all at the numbers. Like, yeah, that's about what I expected. And it's like, okay, wow. Instagram followers has nothing to do with Mm -hmm. it. What their current website looks like has nothing to do with it. The price point of their product or service, it has nothing to do with it. You know, some people who are in the consumer product space have products that are, you know, you know, below $10 and some people are in the service space and they have 50 K minimums for like interior design or something like that. You never know. And so I love that you shared that with our audience because I think people, designers hold themselves back oftentimes because of fear because of the fear of rejection because of the fear of someone saying, Whoa, like that is too much. So going off the script a little bit, what do you say when you do get into a situation with a client where they, I mean, maybe not now that doesn't happen to you because you're pre-qualifying your leads, but what if a designer says a number, they're really nervous to, they say the number and then the client just does not respond well. What do you do in that situation to not only like salvage the conversation and potentially be able to still send a proposal, but also like not get in your head and not say to yourself like, oh, I shouldn't have said that number or like, I'm not worthy of saying that number because that specific client had a negative reaction. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. Um, it's actually funny. I did an episode on like my own podcast uh, a while back about handling rejection. And it was kind of stemmed from like Ooh. these kinds of conversations. Like how do you deal with rejection as, as a designer, whether the client is rejecting your pricing or the client is rejecting the um, mock-up that you sent over? Like how do you do that and not take it so personally? And it's human nature. Like we we want for people to like what we're saying. We kind of, we associate this, you know, people liking us, people accepting what we're doing, people getting on board with it with safety on kind of this like really primal level. Um, And so one thing that I, you know, really want to kind of drive home is in that conversation where you're chatting with someone and they are pushing back against your prices, 
it's really easy for our heart rates to increase. If you're an anxious person, it's easy for like the sweat to start happening and for your hands to get clammy. It's easy for your nervous system to start feeling like you're in danger. And so it's, it's, it's powerful to remind yourself, you know, regardless of what this person says, I am safe. I can end this call at any point in time if they're speaking to me in a way where I do not feel respected or I don't feel safe. But if someone is pushing back against your pricing because it shocked them and it wasn't what they were expecting, that's that's literally what it is. It's just someone is pushing back because their expectation didn't align with your reality. And that is that's okay. That has no bearing on you. That has no bearing on your worth as a human or your ability as a designer. It's literally just, it's a matter of of expectations not quite aligning. So in a conversation where we want to salvage that relationship and we want to still send a proposal, let's say that you you presented a solution on that call that was at that 10K price point and your potential client, your lead pushes back and says, you know, that sounds really great, but I just don't have the budget for that right now. And they leave it at that. Okay. Well, you have a couple options. If you do actually really want to work with this client and you do have some kind of service where you could scale back the service, the amount of, not like the amount of work so much. Well, actually I misspoke. Definitely the amount of work, like we're kind of scaling back, we're scaling back the level of service to justify a lower price point. So what we're not doing, we're not taking our 10K service and knocking it down to 5K because we want to book that. Because then what we're doing is we're going to create an opportunity where resentment can exist, where you're doing 10K worth of work for 5K. And again, it's math. Like (laughs) that math doesn't add up. So instead look at your services and is there a lower priced service with fewer deliverables that still aligns with the value that this potential client wants to experience? So let's say your 10K project um, that you pitched to them was brand strategy, um, visual identity, and custom website design. Let's say you were doing like all of that together. And that's just not doable for this person. But you're like, okay, well, I actually have this package where I could do brand strategy and brand identity. And it's, you know, it's, it's 5k or it's, you know, however much it is. Well, then you could introduce that as a additional solution. And you might find that that potential client, like, you know, they feel really excited about that. It's a better fit for their budget. It's a better fit for, you know, still paving the way for the two of you to work together. And so they sign on and then maybe I've seen this happen before. I've actually had this happen with my own clients where they sign on working at, you know, uh, maybe a, a smaller kind of like project scope. But then as we get into the project and as they start generating revenue because of the strategy work that we've done and the visual identity we've created, then they come back and they want to hire me to do the website design or they want to hire me to do something else. And so you never know. Again, it's that kind of thing. Like we don't want to be in our clients' pockets because we don't know what their financial, you know, like landscape looks like. But it's important that we like pitch our services in a way that honors the kind of work that we want to do, that, you know, makes us 
uh, feel good about the person that we're working with and makes sure that we are feeling accurately compensated for the time and energy that we're pouring into that project. So, you know, I definitely think there's some ways to find a, a smaller scope of work without compromising the revenue that you're able to generate and without, you know, taking on like more client work than you can handle. Wonderful. I couldn't have said it better myself. I loved everything that you said. I have a question before we get into learning all about the brand strategy school, which I'm so excited to talk about in slower seasons. How do you like, what are you doing you and your team to help boost things up for the next busy season? Because I know slow seasons can be really detrimental to people's growth mindsets and they can really make you question everything about your pricing and about your services. Um, so what advice do you have for designers who are currently going through a, cl- a slow season or, I mean, everyone experiences them. So if you haven't experienced one yet, you will not to be dark, but you know, <laughs> it is a thing. What are you, what are you doing in your company to help boost things up, but then also to help keep your mindset in that place of, you know, we charge high high ticket or high value, like not reducing pricing too much, not going back to your old ways. Because I've noticed in myself that when I go through slow seasons, I question everything. And I'm like, oh, I shouldn't be charging this much because I'm getting so many rejections or like inquiries are slow or like I'm not getting enough people through the door. Um, So I'm curious about that. Yeah. I love this question because earlier, you know, we were talking a little bit about consistent income and you know, the, I think that like the, the picture that a lot of people in the online business space kind of are, are feeding us about, you know, generating consistent income and consistent revenue in your business is that it's the same month after month after month. But actually the way that I look at consistency in my design business, and I think that this is just because I've had multiple years to live through this and to see it in action. For me, consistency looks like that kind of seasonality of like, I know that consistently there will be slow seasons during the winter and there will be busier seasons during the summer and fall. I know that, you know, this is kind of like the cadence essentially, um, for my business and for like my, my, um, inquiries that I'm seeing coming through. And so I don't need to panic. I say this kind of like with a grain of salt because it is so, so, so easy for us to like want to panic when a slower season comes up. And I just think that's normal because, you know, as, as small business owners, as entrepreneurs, we're responsible for the revenue that we're generating and we're responsible for the results that we're seeing. And so when we feel like we're doing everything we can and we're just not getting the inquiries that we want or that we need, that's stressful. Like that's just, you know, let's just call it what it is. That's a stressful season to be in. So in my business, the way that I handle that is I look at my roster of clients that I've worked with recently, or I worked with in the past. And I take that as an opportunity to reach back out to my past clients and to check in with them. And there's kind of like two benefits to this. First of all, it's helping me to continue to foster those relationships that I've built with my past clients and check in and see how you know, like what growth they're experiencing, how life is going, how business is going, but then also opens the door for us to work together again. 
And so often we think about, you know, generating revenue in our design businesses as a matter of getting new clients in the door. And that's absolutely a part of it. But also, if there's a way for you to work with your past clients and to serve them at some level, that can be incredibly beneficial. So when I am reaching out to my past clients, I am, you know, again, like focusing on catching up with them, on fostering that relationship. And I'm also seeing like, hey, is there a way that I can serve you in this season? Like, do you have anything new coming up where you could use some additional support? Do you need help with any new projects you're creating, new businesses you're building? Because, you know, sometimes we'll see that past clients, they're actually launching, uh, you know, second or third businesses, or they are wanting to create a new series of like pages for their website. And that's something that like I can handle for them. Um, or, or this is my favorite, a past client can say, I don't actually like have any design needs at this time, but I want to introduce you to my business bestie who absolutely could use your services. And it's like, it's just the best. I love getting those inquiries from past clients because it's like, you feel like the sense of calm confidence. They're already aware of your pricing. They already, you've already worked with them. You already understand each other. Um, And so I love that you are so proactive during those slower seasons. Cause I feel like a lot of designers just feel so uncomfortable with like, you know, reaching out and pitching or connecting, but what better group of people to pitch to than people who have already paid you and already love you and have given you great testimonials. That's kind of what I remind myself of. Mm, Absolutely. And that's something that like, when we are looking at ways to generate revenue in a slower season, looking at that high value list of, of past clients that you already have access to, that is such a fantastic way to generate some additional revenue, to get some new projects on the books, to maybe generate some new referrals, maybe some new client projects via those referrals. And also I like to look at slow seasons as these opportunities to like pour back into my business. So those are great times where, you know, I can like I can review my systems and my processes. I can make sure that everything's working for me still well and it's still serving me. I can um, you know, pour back into myself and I can join a group program or I can, you know, buy a course and go through that content and really learn a new skill. There's a lot of things that I can do to increase my earning potential during a slow season that might look a little bit more internal um, versus external and actively working with clients. But um, I never want to get to a point where I I believe that I've learned everything and that I know everything there is to learn. And so I'm constantly using slow seasons as an opportunity to um, kind of like go inward, focus on the growth that I want to experience or need to experience in order to reach that next level. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us because I know that that is a really big consideration for designers, especially in the current climate, the current financial climate, thinking about like, like what 2023 is going to look like for them. There is so much that we can be doing behind the scenes during those slow periods. And one of the things that my dad told me that I have never forgotten, um, he's an attorney and he still writes all of his to-do lists out on those yellow legal pads. 
he has a stack of them almost ceiling high in his office over the course of his, you know, what, like 40 year plus career doing what he does. He's like, you know what? I've never gotten to the, I was telling him like, man, a couple of months ago, I was going through a slow season in the summertime. And I was like, man, I I'm so nervous. Like, what if I get to the end of my client project that's right now? And like no one else books. And he was like, you know, I've never gotten to the end of my to-do list. Like I would give a lot to like get to the end of my list. (laughs) Obviously he's grateful for the clientele that he has and he loves being able to serve people in that way. But he really helped me think about like, okay, wow, how can I shift my perspective right now to, like you said, think about investing in myself or taking a program or watching free YouTube videos and brushing up on my illustrator skills or something like that. Um, So I don't know. I just, that visual of those yellow legal pads like piled up in his office. I was thinking like, wow, like what could it look like to benefit my, my company, my business, myself, my mental health, my physical health to get to the end of my client my client work list and kind of start, start shifting some of that energy towards my business. Okay. So I am so excited to talk about the brand strategy school. Tell us more about how that started, who it's for student wins that you want to share with us. And if someone is interested in learning more, how can they contact you? Absolutely. So the Brand Strategy School is the program that I've created for graphic brand and web designers who want to generate consistent revenue month after month using brand strategy as your superpower. So it's literally like I've been sharing in our conversation today, it's literally like the secret sauce for me and for my business that took me from like burnt out and overworked and overwhelmed to working with just a handful of clients at high price points and creating these impactful, high converting brands that I am so, so proud to put my name on and to have as a part of my portfolio. And I'm so grateful to be able to share those with my clients. So the Brand Strategy School actually shares my exact step-by-step done-for-you brand strategy process that you can take and instantly plug into your business so that you can quickly and thoughtfully uplevel your services, charge more, and start connecting with clients who are after that kind of strategic design approach. So we really go through three three kind of like big steps in the program. It is completely self-paced. So you can walk through it at your own pace. Um, but there's also this community component so that you can ask questions of me of the other like incredible designers from all over the globe inside our community. But we focus first on supercharging your strategy using my done for you brand strategy process. Then I teach you how to guide your clients through this process because it's new for you and it's going to be new for them. So we, we do that so that you can really position yourself as a pro. And as a pro, you can command those higher ticket rates. And then we talk about how to leverage this process as a differentiator in your marketing so that you can connect with and captivate the attention of more clients who are going to be willing to invest in this strategic process at your higher price point. So if that's something that sounds like kind of piques your curiosity and you'd like to learn more, you can actually go to my website, beisforbonniedesign.com. There's the tab at the top titled for designers. And you can check out more about the brand strategy school and also lots of free resources that I've created. 
And also, if you are curious about really how brand strategy can be this tool that helps you exponentially grow your business and generate more revenue while protecting your time and energy, I've created this totally free like on-demand training that you can tune into Netflix style and you can grab that at theisforbonniedesign.com slash training. Amazing. So you've got something for everyone. Um, I especially love hearing about brand strategy in tandem with scaling your business at fewer working hours. Because I feel like when designers hear the words brand strategy, they think like, wow, this is going to take me forever. Like, you know, maybe like, I mean, maybe that's just me. Like maybe I have, you know, just done so much in brand strategy that I felt like it was in opposition to me scaling my business. I love, and I've never seen this before from any other designer who is training people on brand strategy, that you're coming at it from the perspective of like, we're adding more value, but not adding more time to your working hours. I think that is really, really unique. So if you guys are interested, you know, beesforbonniedesign.com. Really excited that, you know, this offer, you know, is available to our listeners and you guys can go and check it out. If you have questions for Bonnie, of course, you can go follow her um, on Instagram at Bonnie Joy Marie. And we'll definitely make sure, Bonnie, that you're in our Facebook group when this episode goes live. So if anyone has any specific questions for you on anything that we chatted about today, um, you'll be available to answer people's questions in our group. Absolutely. I am honestly an open book. So if there is something that we talked about today that really resonated with you and you have questions or you want to talk through it more, you can send me a DM on Instagram. You can tag me in the Facebook group. Like I am here to talk it out, to support you however I can, and hopefully point you towards some answers or some insight or some experience that'll serve you well. I love that. Okay. So I know this episode has been a little bit of a longer one for you guys. So let us know if you like a little bit of a longer episode. Usually we try to keep them under an hour, but Bonnie and I were just having so much fun at talking about pricing. And, you know, we're, I mean, I'm such a nerd about this stuff. I feel like I walked away with so much just invigoration to continue honing my sales process. But let's still do our inbox question. Usually if we go over, we skip the inbox question, but this is such a good one. Brooke Gorin asks, what part of your onboarding process has been the most instrumental in seamlessly educating your client about your process? And a little addendum to this one, like I I know we talk about like avoiding talking about deliverables or getting too into the weeds about your process during the sales call so that we can, you know, spend more time on that transformation and talking about the painful problems. But that's why I love this question because I'm actually curious like how how you handle this. Yeah. So um, the sales process, when I'm chatting with a potential client, um, I'm not really talking too much about my process because just like you were saying, Jen, like I want to focus more on connecting with my potential client and hearing where they're struggling and how they're defining success within the context of this project and talking about how I can potentially serve them well and help them achieve that definition of success through my services. But when we get to the point where we're talking about like the next steps and I'm sending over the proposal, I would actually say that my proposal does a lot of the heavy lifting for me. Again, we're not talking too much about process, but what we are talking about is how my services will provide a specific and clear transformation 
that aligns with my ideal client's um, definition of success, essentially. So in my proposal, I'm reiterating, you know, here's what we talked about during our call today. Here's how this will work. Like the, I, I map out literally like step-by-step step visually, like, okay, if we want to move forward, you select the level of service that you want to book. Um, we then take on 25% retainer payment that locks your project into my calendar. The rest is broken up into a payment plan that we both agree on. Um, you know, we basically like map out like literally step by step. These are this is how we make it official, and these are the expectations of how this will work. And then I weave in client testimonials throughout my proposal, so I basically have it built out like case studies. Where as you're like flipping through, and I use HoneyBook to do all of my like client onboarding and proposals, contracts. Um, it's it's my CRM. I am then like highlighting these case studies that support what I've been saying to this person. Like you know, I'm saying, hey, I can build you this brand that helps you, you know generate consistent connection with your ideal clients and helps you make more money. And here's how that worked for one of my past clients. And it's just a quick like little one page like, you know, kind of case study using an example of like the design work that we did, the, you know, kind of like the brief, my client's testimonial, you know, just kind of breaking it out in that way. And then I will share my like overview of the service that I am pitching to this person and including the proposal. And um, then it's literally just like that call to action at the end of like, all right, like if you're ready to make this official, you know, you can select the the package in this proposal and then click, you know, this button and that'll auto-populate your invoice and your payment plan and your contract because like all that's set up in HoneyBook. Or if you have questions, here's how you can connect with me and we can chat more about this. And that is like such an easy thing for me to just send out since it's a template that I just customize per per person. And I send it out. It takes me like less than five minutes, but it answers any questions that someone might have about what it's like to work together in terms of, you know, payment plans or timeline or you know anything like that. Those questions are answered in that proposal, like that overall, basically like brochure. And yeah, it's it's something that like helps us kind of bridge from, you know, just talking about working together to signing on and you know paying that retainer and saying yes to working together and then from there all of the other onboarding stuff I have set up through an automation in HoneyBook where I'm able to send over you know kind of like that first like it's official type email that points them towards you know their client portal and where we're going to be walking through our brand strategy homework together how to get their first call on the books and so if there's a way that you can utilize something like a CRM to semi automate or fully automate some of those steps that can actually like help you show up and serve your clients at kind of that higher level where everything is like no one is like waiting to hear what comes next like your clients aren't sending you an email to be like okay great i signed the contract What's next? Instead, like they already know what's next because they've signed the contract and then they've gotten that like automated, you know, it's official type email that walks them through the next steps on their end. Okay, you're totally selling me on HoneyBook. I actually used it a couple of years ago and then like I transitioned to Dubsado because I was having some email issues with it. But like I feel like I'm doing everything so manually right now and like it's working, but 
that is, I mean, that's another answer to the question of how to earn more as a designer with, by working fewer hours is to utilize the technology that's available and created specifically for us as designers. You know, um, you don't need to have an admin assistant, you know, if you have those automations set up in HoneyBook. So I love that answer so much. And I bet your proposals look so amazing and they're so user-friendly and... I'm going to have to go and check out HoneyBook again because <laughs> I am using Dubsado in combination with Notion right now for like mm-hmm. proposals and everything just kind of happens like manually, which is fine because like I don't work with like that many clients, but even, even the ones I do have, like my admin assistant is like onboarding them and like I'm paying her those hours to do that. And so I'm like, hmm, I wonder if this would be a little bit, you know, faster and like more smooth if we were doing something yeah. like that in HoneyBook. Yeah. I mean, um, automations are such a powerful way, I think, to like free up more time, but they don't have to... I think that at least like a fear that I had initially was that if I used a lot of automations in my business, I would kind of like dehumanize those steps. Like I wouldn't have that like connection. Um, but you can actually set up some automations and you can use like really thoughtful, you know, templates for your emails and things like that, where it can be fully automated or semi-automated. So it doesn't go out until you kind of like approve it. And that gives you a chance to maybe personalize the email with, you know, a fun, a fun thing that you and your client were talking about on your latest call, or it gives you a chance to point them towards this follow-up resource that you mentioned that you said you were going to send their way. And so there are absolutely ways that you can still have that human and that kind of relationally driven touch through automations that are fully or semi-automated. But yeah, I mean, something like HoneyBook or even like Zapier, like there's so many integrations out there, but um, you don't need to be the one manually clicking all of the buttons to onboard your client every step of the way. Like that's, that's some time that like you or an assistant can reclaim and do something else with. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I could have her use those hours to instead kind of set up some of those automations for me. So Love that. Well, thank you, Bonnie, so, so much for being here with us and like just sharing your wisdom and your vulnerability and your openness about your struggles and your journey to where you are now. I feel like it's just so refreshing to hear from someone who has been in this space for so long. I mean, over 10 years, that's amazing and rare in the design world. And I know our listeners are going to be able to take so much from this episode. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so grateful that we got to have this conversation and I just hope that it's leaving folks with some good thoughts, some good takeaways and some good actions they can take that will really help support them. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we will see you guys in next week's episode. Thank you again, Bonnie. Bye guys. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Subscribe wherever you're listening to make sure you don't miss an episode. And we'd be forever grateful if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We bet you've got designer friends who'd enjoy it too, so share it with them. If you'd like to submit an inbox question for us to answer on air, or you want to get in contact with us directly, email us at inbox at betterbranddesigner.com. Our Facebook community is one of the most positive, supportive, and fun groups we've ever been a part of. We'd love for you to join us. Search for Better the Brand Designer Podcast on Facebook. If you love these conversations between designer friends and would like to support us, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash betterpodcast. 
and visit us online at betterbranddesigner.com to learn more about our podcast and snag major discounts on our favorite resources. Special thanks to our producer, John from Wayfair Recording Co. See you guys again next week.